And we're back for another episode of the Axe Network podcast. And I'm excited about this episode. Uh, we have with us a special guest, uh, international evangelist George Hurt. And uh, he's going to be joining us this evening. We're going to talk about revival, evangelism, where the church is at, where the church is going. Uh, Brother Hurt, are you with us? Yes, sir, I am. God bless you, my friend. Uh, how are you doing this evening? God bless you. I'm doing well. Amen, amen. What I want you to do, I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners. I uh, want them uh, to, to learn a little bit about you and uh, your background. So if you don't mind, just take just a few minutes, uh, tell everybody about yourself, where you're from, uh, what you do in ministry, and we'll we'll kind of pick up from there. Okay. Yes, sir. My name is George Hurt. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, 41 years old. Um, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I got in church when I was about 22 years ago. So I was 18 years old. And, um, I have a wife. Uh, we've been married for, been ready to go on 15 years in March. I've got a 13-year-old son. I have a daughter. She'll be 22 years old in a couple of weeks. And also, she's expecting a child. So I'll be having my first grandchild here uh, in another month or so. And um, I'm a full-time evangelist. Um, I travel uh, internationally. been evangelizing full-time, traveling the world, preaching conferences, crusades, revivals, and what have you around the world for the past 13 years, 13, 14 years. And um, we pastored a church. We also, we also pastored a church. We started a church in Indianapolis, Indiana as well. So my wife and I, we've been in full-time ministry for about 14 years. And we thank God for what he has been doing. He's been doing great things. And it's also an honor uh, to be on the show with you. Amen. Amen. I felt it uh, important to invite you on the uh, on the podcast um, because I believe that you bring a special dynamic uh, to the apostolic movement. Um, now, you were not raised uh, in the apostolic church, but you came to truth. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, that process of being where you were at in your life and coming to the truth, uh, and being introduced to apostolic doctrine. And, and if you don't mind, just, just take us on that journey for a few minutes, uh, of, of okay. how all that came about. Okay. Yes. I was, once again, I was 18 years old. Now I was born in a household. My mother, my, my father and my stepmother raised me. Um, I, uh, was raised going to, um, uh, we, I was raised going to a, a very, very old traditional uh, Baptist church in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, I, my father, um, my mother, my brother, my sister, we all lived in the same household together. And um, I was considered what many would call the black sheep of the family. Um, I was always in trouble. I was always getting into things, always getting in trouble in the neighborhood, getting into fights and what have you. 
And uh, by the time, like I said, I was about 18, 19 years old, um, I was in a lot of trouble. Uh, I was in gangs. Um, I was a vice lord. And uh, so I was in street gangs. Um, and also, you know, I did what people did when they ran the streets. I robbed people, sold drugs, uh, just kind of did whatever, um, did whatever people do when they're not living for God and they run the streets. And what happened was I um, I was in trouble and got into some trouble, um, some criminal trouble. I was facing, that time I was all wooden done, I was facing 106 years uh, in the state prison here in Indiana. I was about 19, 20 years old. And at this time of my life, I'm like, you know, I need God to really do something, you know, in my life. My girlfriend at that time, she was a backslider. And, you know, she was, you know, we met in high school. And uh, her and her mother actually uh, encouraged me uh, to go and be baptized. Uh, I had come to a place in my life where I felt like um, I couldn't take it anymore. I was very depressed. I was nervous uh, because, you know, I'm facing all this time. Um, I've got a lot of stuff, you know, um, that, that I'm looking at, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, potential problems that I was facing. And I needed, I needed help. So, um, you know, it's kind of back and forth. So I was baptized. I received the Holy Ghost. I went to a church. And uh, when I went there, you know, God, did something on the inside of me. And, uh, you know, I could say that he was beginning something. There was some definite things that happened to me internally. My anger, I had an anger problem. I had anger problems uh, for years. And, uh, but I didn't want to hurt people. I didn't want to fight people. Uh, but um, I still had some things that God was still working out of me. But nevertheless, you know, by the time it was over and done, 106 years I was facing, uh, turned into the going to court. The judge sentenced me to 14 years in the state prison. And uh, it was there that I did six and a half years in prison. And um, I went in to prison around 99, and I got out in 2005. And uh it, but during the time span that I was in prison, uh, it was there that I began to develop my relationship with God. Uh, I had received the Holy Ghost right before I went in, but did not realize the magnitude of what I had uh, until God began to talk to me. Uh, and when I say talk to me, I just took the scriptures little. I just began to read the word and, um, and I took it little, and I, um, God would just would talk, you know, from, you know, so from there on out, you know, God started, you know, using me in the prison. Um, there were great men of God that, you know, every once in a while I was able to cross paths with. There was one gentleman, he's a pastor, actually. Um, as a matter of fact, he's actually the pastor of the first revival I'd ever done. Um, you know, uh, you know, 
I would say that that revival was the revival that I went full time off of was my first one. But nevertheless, that pastor, before he pastored, used to live in Indiana. He lived on the campground. He went to Calvary Tabernacle uh, in Indianapolis. And he would walk, literally walk, every Sunday morning. He lived on the campground. So the Camp Indiana Campgrounds, which is a church campground um, in Indianapolis, in Indiana, um, he would walk from the campgrounds all the way to the prison. And he would visit me. He would order me a Snicker bar and a Coca-Cola. And we'd sit down and we would talk over the scriptures. And, um, you know, I was just basically, you know, he was kind of like my checks and balances. And, um, you know, I was able to, um, you know, develop, you know, a relationship with God that I would say was very unique because oftentimes people's relationships today, usually, you know, a lot of times it begins while they're at church. Well, I was a person that I would consider myself completely unchurched. And um, I had a lot of issues prior to coming to Christ. And here I am developing, uh, not only operating the ministry and what have you, but I developed a relationship with God before I actually really was able to be churched or develop a relationship with, you know, all of my brothers and sisters in Christ. When I say that, you know, when we did, when I did have relationships with them, it was usually through long distance, you know, letters and what have you. But it was amazing how uh, through those uh, avenues that God gave, you know, through people that would do as you're doing right now, men of God that had a burden to maybe, you know, do a radio show, or there were also men that would also uh, even um, preach on television. Uh, you know, when you're in prison, you know, you're locked down. Uh, there's so many, you know, challenges, you know, feeling from what state or what a prison you're in. Sometimes a lot of challenges on getting, you know, preachers to really come in or really, you know, preaching sometimes is, you know, rightly divided. And, uh, but there were men that would actually have TV, you know, had um, TV ministries that, you know, they actually invested a lot of money. And, you know, men, uh, people were like, you know, man, you know, you're spending so much money, you know, how many people are really coming from your church? But I was in prison and uh, I was feeding off of, you know, that word of men, you know, like, you know, Shabbat and what have you, uh, great men that actually taught me the scriptures. And I never got to meet these men. And uh, so I came home. And um, and after I came home from prison, um, I went back to the church. I got the Holy Ghost at the pastor. He was very uh, privy to what was going on in the prison uh, because, once again, revival actually broke out in prison. Uh, We uh, just—I never—you know, one thing about coming to Jesus, it was like he never treated me like I was before I knew him. It was like he never treated me 
like I was a sinner. He treated me like I was a son. He never treated me like I was a criminal. He didn't treat me like I was an inmate. He treated me like I was royalty, like I was his offspring. And uh, so because of that, I live not so much within the reality of the chains that I was bound in, but I live within the reality of the relationship and the affection that God gave me. So his affection literally um, blocked me from actually seeing the fact that I'm locked up. So these men would look at me and guards would look at me and they're like, man, you're, you're acting like you've never done anything wrong or you're, you're acting like you've never, like, like, how did you even get here, you know? And I was told him, I said, you know, I was in sin. I did a lot of bad things, but nevertheless, you know, I received the Holy Ghost. And I remember reading that scripture where it says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away, and behold, all things are made new. So, you know, in my mind, I'm like, hey, you know, I've tried it my way all this time, and nothing's worked. It seems like I'm trying it Jesus' way, and I'm I'm becoming better. I'm seeing things inside of me and leaving. So I, I, I just embraced, you know, the reality that I knew. So, you know, I came home, and the pastor, he said, hey, Brother Hurt, he said, everything that God was doing with you in prison, he said, I want you to do it out here. And, you know, it was very unique because I had a relationship with God before I really could say that I actually had an established relationship with a pastor. And even though I was used of God, I knew that I needed that pastor. So when I came home, it was like I clinged to him. And he, not only did I cling to him, but he also clinged to me. He did not ever treat me in the church. Um, amazingly, did not treat me like I was an ex-con. They treated me like I was a brother in the Lord. And that, uh, I don't want to use the word camaraderie, but that fellowship, that uh, relationship, that, um, that, 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 that relationship, that intimacy, that oneness with being together with the body uh, actually encouraged me and gave me confidence that, you know, God was going to do something great. I remember the pastor speaking a word, and he said, He who has begun a good work in you shall perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. So what I did was I embraced it. Anything he told me to do, I did it. Um, and God just came through, man, and blessed us. You know, I got married. Um, I met my wife actually a month after I came home from prison, and I was just very honest with her. You know, a friend of ours introduced each other to us, and I was just very honest with her. I told her, I said, hey, you know, I was like, you know, I've done a lot of bad things. I was like, you know, we were talking. I was like, you know, I want to let you know. My name is George. I'm a four-time convicted felon. I was sentenced to 14 years in prison. I just got out a month ago. I did six and a half years. I said, I've got a child out of wedlock. I said, I live at home right now with my mother because I just got out. I said, I don't have a job. I said, but I've been working with a friend of mine that's cutting trees, you know, uh, every week. 
And I said, and I was like, and I only got two pair of shoes, uh, two pair of pants, or three T-shirts. And I said, those are what my brother gave me. And I said, um, and I was like, I don't have a whole lot. I said, but everything that God, God gave to me. And I said, and I was very happy about that and grateful for that because once in my life, I could honestly say that everything that I have came legally. It did not come illegally, but it came legal. So I was, I was grateful and I was, it was an honor to be able to say that even though I didn't have much, the much that I had, God gave to me. And I was uh, magnifying what God had given me. And even though I didn't have a lot, God gave it to me. And I told her, I said, now, I don't have a whole lot right now. I said, but God has given me some promises. And I said, and I believe God, and I'm telling you that, you know, a year from now, you're not going to be able to recognize I've ever been in a place like this. And I basically told her, I was like, you know, God's given me some promises, and those promises are going to come to pass. And if you want to be with me, I'm going to tell you, these things are going to come to pass. I don't have a lot right now, I said, but in a year from now, things are going to turn around. And within a year, we were married. Within a year, uh, I had my own business going. Within a year, God had just, it was literally almost less than a year, but we were married a year from the date that we'd seen each other for the first time. And uh, But nevertheless, um, it was, you know, about a year or so later after I came off parole, um, I shut my business down and I started evangelizing full time. And I, and now I'm here on the, on the podcast. I was a great man of God. Wow. You know, I did not realize that um, our stories are, are very similar in nature. Um, and, and we'll get into that a little bit later on, but as I listen to you talk and, and tell your story, what you had was somewhat of a Paul experience because you developed a relationship with God in somewhat of an estranged, uh, environment. And so uh, I was reminded of the Apostle Paul having this experience with God and then uh, being being alone uh, to himself, not having uh, those really around him to, to foster him and to uh, encourage him and feed him. And you were placed in that same type of situation. You were, you were filled with the Holy Ghost and then you were put in prison and then you were there left all by yourself uh, to develop that relationship with God. It, it shows the beauty and the faithfulness of God himself, but it also, it, it also shows the desire and the hunger that you had for that relationship. Um, you and I both know that being locked up, being incarcerated, it's very hard to do the right thing when you're in an environment uh, where the rules are not like they are uh, out in the free world. There are a set of rules. There are uh, codes of conduct. There are uh, 
unwritten laws in prison and 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 those things govern how men live uh most of them very very ungodly men and so to be able to pull through all of that again not only shows the faithfulness of God but it shows that hunger and that desire in your heart uh to strive uh to be a Christian not an easy thing to do and uh so I admire you for that um and I know that there are listeners out there that are going through the same things you're talking about uh, or have been in the same place. And, and one thing I want our listeners to understand, you know, the Bible talks about the law of harvest. The Bible declares, for God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. There are going to be times in our life where God is not necessarily going to clean up all of our messes. But God will see us through those things. God may not deliver you from prison. God may not take away all of the things that you did. But God is faithful to see you through those things. And again, I'm reminded of the scripture that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and them that are called according to his purpose. And again, brother, you have lived out that scripture because who you are today, the the relationship you have with God is something that, that you had to get it for yourself. You had no one to run to. You had no one there to encourage you. But even as the psalmist said, you encouraged yourself in the Lord. And we're going to find ourselves many times in those positions where where you're not going to have that man of God there. You're not going to have those family members there. You're not going to have those positive influences in your life. And you've got to dig deep. And you've got to build a strong foundation for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And and it's it's absolutely phenomenal because you and I both know in dealing with people, uh, in, in the prison system, we see many times they, they get full of the Holy Ghost. We baptize them in Jesus' name, and, and they're on fire for God. And then as time goes on, they become discouraged. They become disgruntled, and they end up losing their relationship with God. Um, talk to us for just a few minutes about that. What was the struggle yes. like? In, in 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 being behind bars. You know, I watched a video that you published on the internet, and I believe in that video you talked about how your faith was so strong because you just knew that God was going to deliver you and you weren't going to have to do all this time in prison. But as the days went on, you realized it was something you were going to have to live through. Talk to us about that and those emotions for a moment. Yes. Um, I was actually thinking about that. I have remembered going on a fast. All right. I remember going on one of my first fasts. It was a three day. No, I intended on going on a 10 day fast at first and um, with no food. And um, I remember um, believing that God was going to get me out. And I ended up not being able to pull through 
for the full 10 days. So then I did another fast, and I said, well, I'm going to do a three-day fast, and I'm going to believe that God's going to get me out of here. And, I mean, I I spoke by faith. I told everybody, like, God, get me out of here. You know, anybody that's done any length of time, every year people, like, you know, they tell their family, hey, I'm getting ready to get out of here. You know, I'm getting out. I got something working in the court. I'm going to get a modification. I'm going to get a pill. Get an appeal and my PC's coming back. You know, um, they have these uh, this mindset at the beginning of every year that this could be the year that something will pull through for them in court. Well, my thoughts was like, well, I've got a relationship with God and God's doing all these things. God can send an angel and get me out of prison. So I started speaking by faith. That everybody, I started telling everybody, I'm getting out this Sunday. People are like, man, I thought you got another, like, six years ago, five years ago. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I got some, you know, I got some things working on my behalf. And, uh, you know, it's going to turn around. But I was like, I'm getting out of here. I was like, this Sunday, I'll be getting out. So I was on this fast. I'm like, all right, you know, God sent an angel to come and break Peter out of prison. And uh, he sent an earthquake to get Paul and Silas out of prison, then God can do the same thing to me. And I'm believing God exactly for that. Well, second day goes by, nothing's happened. I'm like, okay, you know, all right, I'm going to wait on God. You know, he may not come when you want him, but he'll be there right on time. So I'm waiting on God. And all of a sudden, the third day comes around. I'm like, all right, you know, he ain't showed up here yet. Well, you know, he got until midnight. He got until midnight. So, you know, we locked down at nine, about that time. We knocked down, we locked down about 9.30 p.m. I remember coming in to wreck uh, about, you know, eight something, uh, nine o'clock. I remember coming in and sitting down on my bed. And, uh, and I remember looking out the window. I'm like, all right, you know, when's my angel coming? And I'm sitting on the bed and, this count time, you know, everybody's on the docks, you know, uh, the guards coming through, looking into all the cells, making sure everybody, you know, they're counting the whole prison. And I'm looking out and I'm like, all right, you know, Lord, you got to move, you got to move. And I'm waiting for 12 o'clock. I'm waiting for the Lord to come and get me out. And, you know, here it is, 12 a.m. rolls around and it's not happened. So then I'm like, well, maybe... You know, maybe I'm on Eastern time. Maybe God is, you know, maybe God is on mountain time. Amen. Amen. You know, I was young. I was like 21 years old. So, but, you know, I got faith. I'm like, maybe God's on mountain time, Pacific time or something. So I was like, you know, I could, I could, I can give him that much. Well, you know, I woke up the next morning and I was still there and I realized, I've got to do this time. So I just, you know, I, there, there, there were, you know, Pastor McLeod, I, I had a lot of, you know, I had a lot of anger issues. You know, I didn't get locked up for being a saint. You know, I did not, um, I did not, um, you know, I was not, I um, wasn't perfect. And, you know, I had issues internal. And I wanted to get out. I wanted God to deliver me from the prison, but it wasn't God's will to deliver me from the prison. He wanted to deliver me in the prison. 
See, there was something that was bound up within me. There was something that was in me that it took time and relationship and patience with God to work out of me. So I remember being in prison. I remember um, having my struggles, trying to do right. I remember, um, you know, I remember uh, so many close calls uh, where, you know, you know, I, 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 I wanted to fight. You know, I, I didn't. Um, I had more. It was like God had when I feel got the Holy Ghost. It was like I had some self control. Some there was some restraint that was there that I didn't have before I got the Holy Ghost. And there were times where I wanted to literally explode. And um, you know, I remember, um, I remember the frustration. But what helped me. Well, someone told me when I first went to prison, uh, there was a saint, an older church mother that told me, she said, Brother Hurt, she said, you got to learn how to choose right over wrong. And I'll never forget that. It was something that was very, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't like some big grand deal she told me. It was very simple. But to me, it was very powerful, and it actually opened up the door to bring about the separation. I believe that what helped me was that, you know, for instance, like in the prison, you know, um, you know, I could cut hair, you know, I, I used to, uh, you know, I like to make money and, you know, I, I had a, you know, I used to have a bad gambling problem. Um, well in the prison, it was like, you're not supposed to be gambling. Well, you're not supposed to be gambling period. But, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to not do this because this is wrong. So I started separate. So me choosing right over wrong was bringing about a separation. You know, the thing was, I remember being in there and, you know, the guards would say, hey, you're not supposed to bring food back from the child. Now, some of you that probably listen, like, what is the child? Child hall uh, is basically the cafeteria. But it was, you're not supposed to bring food back from the child hall. Well, I would have a friend, but hey, George, then bring this back for me. I'd be like, man, I, I can't do that. But you scared? No, no, I'm not, not scared. I'm just, I can't do that. You know, the Bible tells me to obey the laws of the land. Oh, man, you weren't serving God out there on the streets. Why are you going to try to serve him when you come in here? And it's like, you know, I, I understand I wasn't serving God out there on the streets. But God called me to serve from now. And regardless of if I'm on the streets or if I'm in here, I'm going to yield myself. I'm going to surrender myself to my relationship with God. I'm going to obey what God's told me to do. So when I did that, it was like there was a separation. So as I separated myself and started choosing right over wrong, I did not run necessarily with uh, the agenda or, you know, every prison has its own culture prison has a culture to it. Absolutely. I resisted the I resisted the culture of the prison and I walked in the culture of the kingdom of God. And when that happened, God gave me authority over the prison and gave me authority over the culture of the prison. It was through that authority that God was able to bring revival to the prison. Amen. You know, that's very interesting that you would uh, put it on that wise because there is a kingdom culture that supersedes 
societal culture or situational culture. Um, that kingdom culture takes precedent over everything around us. Uh, we're living in a, in a day and an age where the political rhetoric that we see infiltrating the church, uh, the, the political upheaval and, and the violence and, and, and the, the racism and all of the things that, that we see taking place across uh, North America and around the world, um, it runs counter to kingdom culture. And so when you describe that culture and being in that prison environment, but not living within the confines of that culture, but, but living in the confines of that kingdom culture, and you talk about that authority and that dominion that God gave you in that situation. Uh, it's the same way in the free world. Um, you growing up in Indianapolis, I, I have grown up uh, the majority of my life in uh, the deep south here in, in Mississippi. And um, while there is somewhat of a difference between Midwest culture and uh, Southern culture, uh, we we both have dealt with with certain dynamics uh, in in things uh, in the world. What bothers me is when we see all of those other dynamics in those other cultures, the political culture, the uh, the, the 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 culture of division, the the ungodliness that we see in our society and how we watch it creep in on the church and how we watch it creep in not only to into our churches and our fellowships and our organizations, but even into our own homes. Um, talk to us a little bit about that because if, if someone can overcome that prison culture and live victoriously, in the manner that you did, um, how much the more so should we be able to do that? And, and, and for our listeners, um, it's very important out there that you understand no matter where you're at listening to this tonight, uh, whether you're in Europe or Africa or, or in Latin America or, or North America, uh, Chicago or, or Miami or Atlanta, wherever you are. It's important to understand that you cannot allow the things that are going on around you to affect you in your spiritual walk with God. Brother Hurt, talk to us a little bit about that, because I know as an evangelist traveling across the country, there are many things that you see and that you witness uh, having an influence on kingdom culture. Uh, walk us through that for a few minutes. Yes, um, just going back since we've been talking about prison, um, I, I will use prison as a reference. Um, and I, I remember uh, in prison, I, you know, I, I developed friendships, relationships, bonds that to this day, men that have gotten the Holy Ghost, there's some that I've prayed through to the Holy Ghost today that, that are preachers. 
um, that <laughs> were baptized and prayed through that I discipled while I was there in prison. Uh, there are other men that, you know, um, I were very, we developed a bond. See, the thing is, there were several of us that, right, for instance, that comes to mind right now, there's about four guys that come to mind right now that to this day we all stay in pretty much contact with each other. All of us were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, I was the only one that got it before I went to prison. These guys got it while they were in prison. One of my friends I actually spoke to yesterday, I won't give his name, but he actually was incarcerated for a sex offense. He had a child molestation case. All right. Now, we understand how the world views sex offenders. We understand how the world views child molesters. And if you understand how the world views it, then you can only imagine how the prison views it. Um, those are the cases that you don't want to come to prison with. But this man uh, was facing about 100 and something years. He eventually ended up getting out in 15 years. He did 15 years. And uh, we were talking about that last night. You know, we sit back and we, you know, call me, you know. Um, we're, we're, we're very close, very good friends. This gentleman, when he came in, he had a sex offense. Now, I did not agree. I don't agree with anyone's case, you know. Uh, but at the same time, I am in agreement when God exonerates someone from their sin. So, therefore, what happened was he got the Holy Ghost. He was he was suicidal. They tried to kill him. He, they, they tried to, they, they literally beat the brakes off of him. He tried to kill himself. Um, he did a lot of things to himself. He did a lot of things. But what ended up happening was he came to a place where um, he was broken. There was a prayer meeting. A friend of mine, him, Keith, and Johnny were in a room praying. And, you know, we always have prayer meetings and stuff in our sales. Him and Johnny and uh, Keith and I were all in the room, and I think there was somebody else was praying. And all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost came into that room. It was like my buddy was just crying out to God. You know, he was devastated. I mean, like broken. And what happened was the Holy Ghost fell on him and sat on him. And he fell to the ground. And when he fell to the ground, he starts talking in tongues. Nobody has talked to him about talking in tongues. Nobody has talked to him about the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost falls on him. He starts talking in tongues. And next thing you know, um, after that happened, his whole family got the Holy Ghost out there on the streets. And what occurred was this. Um, we, he was like, he was like a person that was just a true Christian. Now he couldn't read. He couldn't write. He was really messed up. But I remember, you know, uh, him getting, you know, going through school, getting his GED, getting, going to college. And, you know, he was just a true Christian. All right. He was a true Christian. And he was not only one that was just a true, true Christian. The spirit of God joined us together. There were men. There was another guy named Daryl. I was, I, I was, a, I was a vice lord. I was CVL. He was a gangster disciple. All right. We're from, we're, we're, we're actually from the opposite 
end of the track. And usually what happens is when you go uh, into prisons, you know, certain things separate you. You separate by race uh, sometimes. You know, you, if, if a race war breaks out, you ride with the people that are of your race. Um, if a gang war breaks out, you ride with the people that are from your, your set, from your, whatever gang that you, you're connected with. Um, but the thing is, when we, when God joined us together, we did not align ourselves with the things of this world. What brought us together were not the things of this world. What brought us together were the things of the world to come. One thing that we had in common was that the Spirit of God was in us. We were fitly joined. We were joined together. The Bible says we are fitly joined together. Um, and by one Spirit are we called. So the Spirit of God, who made up of many members, fitly joined together. By one Spirit we're called. We were joined together by the Spirit of God. So therefore, I did not see any reason why I should separate if the Spirit of God joined us together that I don't have the authority to try to separate us. Um, if the scripture says when it comes down to marriage, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. Then if God has put the church together, then who are we to try to put it asunder? So what ends up happening was we, you know, and there were times where things happened and I was like, I will die for these men. And these men would also do the same. We didn't get entangled with the stuff that was going on. We did not allow things that were going on within the institution, things that were going on within the world to try to infiltrate what was going on in the kingdom. But we used the kingdom authority and influence to infiltrate and to, and to uh, infiltrate what's going on in the world, not to change what's going on in the kingdom, but using the kingdom authority to change what's going on in the world. And because of that, coming out here, and I see people right now with all the confusion and all the division and all the chaos that's in this world and all the deception that is going on, it's almost like the scriptures declare that no man that wars entangled himself with the affairs of his life. When we are called to come out, we're supposed to come out of everything. Whatever we don't come out of, it will be used as a tool by the enemy to divide us in the kingdom. What is going on in the kingdom and what's going on in the church is that we are dealing with issues where we have not fully come out of things that are still in the heart. What do you mean? We've come out of certain things, but there's still things that are in our heart that we're protecting. We're not really fully removed. And because of that, whatever we don't separate from, and the, whatever we don't separate, our, whatever God has called us to separate from, if we don't separate from it, it will be used as a tool to separate us not only from Christ, but separate us from our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And that's some of the things that are going on. And we have to, as believers, stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to take a stance and I'm going to love my brother. I'm going to, um, I'm going to love my neighbor. And I'm going to walk. And I'm going to use my authority as a, as, as a child of God. There were times when men wanted me to, I remember one time, Pastor, 
I was in the jail and, you know, I, uh, I was this, I was in one block and it was the worst block in the county jail. And I'll never forget these men. Um, these men were brutalizing guys and, but I had authority and, you know, I remember one guy came to me, he said, you know, he said, they called me preacher, man. He's like, Hey, preacher, man, I need to chat with you. I was like, what's going on? He said, man, he said, look, dig. He said, um, man, look, man, they folks been talking about you folks as gangster disciples. He said, folks, they've been talking about you, man, in our meetings, in our sessions. And he said, and what's going on, man, is that they want to, they, they, they want to ride on you. And he said, man, because you've been, you, you've been getting in folks business. See, the thing was, you know, they would have their sessions and they would, after they get done, they want to go jump people. Well, I would get in the middle of the fight and I would block, I would pull them off of guys, but these men wouldn't touch me. It was like I had read in the scripture where it said, touch not my anointed to do my, no, my prophets no harm. I was convinced that these men could not touch me. I was convinced that I had angels around me. I was convinced that God was with me. Well, these men turned around. This brother turns around. Uh, he was from Chicago. We called him Shy. Shy was like, He's like, man, look, preacher, man, he said, we need you to, man, we need you to back up a little bit, man. He said, man, they talking about riding on you. He said, now you're creating division and conflict in, 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 in our gang, in our, you know, in their organization or whatever. He said, you, you're creating conflict among us. And there's some of us, many of us are not going to ride against you. Before we ride against you, we will ride against anybody that will come and put their hands on you. So then he said, all I'm asking you to do is just back up a little bit. And I said, brother, I said, I'm not backing up from nothing. I said, y'all not going to do this. They're not going to do that. I said, the moment y'all do something, I'm going to step in the way of it. And I, I stepped out on faith. Now, most people would be like, you got to be crazy. But the thing was, I was persuaded that God was with me. And I wrote that thing out until the end. And then one day, all of a sudden, it was like they ended up, something ended up happening where they, the guards came in and they removed like a whole bunch of people from the block. And when they did, I was one of the people that they removed. And then when that happened, then, you know, the block ended up blowing up in the pandemonium after we eventually left. But I use the authority of the kingdom to bring the Bible says, uh, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. I use the peace of God that was within me to bring peace to peace around me. The scripture declares this. It says that blessed are the peacemaker, for they shall be called the sons of God. I believe that in this hour we should use our kingdom authority and our um our influence as sons of god to not only manifest a demonstration of god's power in the world but we must also use our voice to demonstrate peace but if we can't live peaceably among ourselves then how in the world are we going to be peacemakers in this world my 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 this is so true. Um, 
as I sit here and listen to you talk about uh, the favor and the influence that God gave you in prison, it's the same way in everyday life. If we will do right because it's the right thing to do and we will put the kingdom and the work of the kingdom above everything else, God will give you that authority and that favor to overcome uh, regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance. Our influence does not come necessarily from dwelling among those around us and being involved in all those things around us. As you said, there's that separation between righteousness and unrighteousness. But when you, when you maintain that righteousness, it will convict. It will, it can control the dynamics of the spiritual, because what I think a lot of people fail to realize is, is that we're not just dealing with the tangible and the material world. We're not just dealing with the temporal, but there there is a spiritual influence that is involved. And the same way that God gave you that, that dominion over the spiritual in the prison, it's the same way in our communities. It's the same way in in the things we deal with in the workplace or, or at school or whatever the situation is. You don't have to allow those things to influence you. You don't have to get drawn in uh, to all of these things, but you have the ability. You, you have the authority and the power in the Holy Ghost to be able to bear influence on these situations in the spiritual realm. But we cannot exercise in the spiritual what we give into in the temporal, in the material world. You, you, can't, you can't get drawn into these things and also have spiritual dominion. You have to separate yourself from those things materially. And God will give you the authority and the ability to have that influence in that favor in the spiritual dynamic uh, because we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the powers, principalities, rulers of the darkness. The, these are the things that that cause racism. These are the things that, that cause men to become evil. This, these are the things that corrupts government. These are the things that that brings about the hatred and the vitriol and and and, and the crime and all of the, the things that we deal with in the world around us. These are spiritual deficiencies. And those spiritual deficiencies is what causes the moral decline. And and our our power and our authority is really not in the material. It's in the spiritual. But when you express that spiritual authority it it affects the material world and that's what that's what happened in your life um you you took that road of righteousness you you expressed your faith you lived out your faith in that spiritual dynamic and it had influence it runs parallel but if we allow those those 
things going on around us, the the political rhetoric and 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 the racism and the hatred and and the vitriol and and, and all of those things, if we allow it to, to to begin to contaminate us, we lose our spiritual authority to deal with those things. Uh, so listeners, um, you 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 got to understand that um, we are are spiritual creatures. We we live in a material world, but but we are transformed by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, uh, "Brother Hurt, let the mind that was in Christ let this be in you also. Let 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 that mind that was in Christ let that be in you. Let let that be what rules you." what influences you what 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 helps you to discern and 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 work your way through these things uh, what what are your thoughts uh concerning uh the politics that we see uh infiltrating the church um i don't know that i have ever witnessed in 42 years of my life the influence that politics is having on the apostolic movement. Uh, what, what are your thoughts about that? I believe that what has occurred is that we have become so used to democracy that we have failed to realize that the kingdom of God is not a democracy. And what I mean by that is this, is that because our natural government is a democracy. We function off of a democracy. Um, I believe that what the issue is this, is that many of us have been able, by democracy, been able to influence. Why? Because democracy isn't perfect. Governments of this world is not perfect. However, some of our churches, and you know, even within our organizations, they're set up that way. They're not perfect, but their organizations are man-made, so they're not perfect. And they are used um, uh, as a tool at times to help uh, assist in furthering the will of God for the body. But at the same time, just like it became, just like anything, can be used for the good, it can also be used for the bad. And unfortunately, at times you've got men that are able to use their influence um, and to persuade others and to rally other people in the flesh to actually combat those that may be walking in the spirit. Uh, then there are also those that, um, that just love politics only because man rules Man is able to influence politics, but man's not able to influence the spirit. And I think that what has to happen is that man has to come back to a place where the body, the Christ, body of Christ has to come back to a place where we say, Lord, we repent. We want your leading. We need your kingdom government to be established. Um, not me being able to, um, you know, influence people, you know, for instance, let's say, let's say, for instance, let's say you do something to offend me 
I can use my political influence or my voice to go around and try to hurt you. I can open up doors for you, but I can also shut doors. I can turn people against you. Why? Because of the political structure and people are afraid of losing. So you're able through your voice, you're able to slander, you're able to hurt, you're able to do a lot of damage to people. Well, those things are in the church. Well, if those things are in the church, even the politics of this world opens up the door for that. So I think that what we have to do is we have to get back to the place where we say, Lord, we repent. We want your leading. We want, they're, they're men, they're men of God that won't even make the decisions that God's called them to make because they are afraid of the politics. They're men that refuse. There's some men that are, that, that, that have been given vision. They're men that's got words from God that refuse to obey God. Why? Because they are afraid of the, poli- the politics. I believe that politics today is nothing more sometimes than just a modern-day Jezebel spirit. But all it tries to do is to control and kill the advancement of God in his kingdom. But I believe that in this hour, we have to separate ourselves from that. But at the same time, the people that are not political, you can't be intimidated by political structures. You have to make up in your mind, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to serve? Paul even said, follow me. He said, as I follow, excuse me, as I follow Christ. That's what Paul says. So therefore, if Paul says that anytime I become flawed, you don't continue to follow me in this pathway. No, you continue to follow the Spirit. You continue to follow Christ. And I believe that as children of God, we have to take a stand. Why? Because if we are intimidated by the politics that are within the church, then you will be intimidated by the politics that come with an antichrist spirit. And ultimately, they actually meet hand in hand. They're like, they go hand in hand. Uh, one's on the left, the other one's on the right. Uh, but we have to separate ourselves from that and walk in the authority of the kingdom of God. And when we do that, then we will have more of an influence over this world than the world having an influence over us. Amen. When I think about uh, you being in prison, and uh, you made the comment that um, you did not have uh, a relationship with a pastor, with a man of God, uh, while you were incarcerated. Though you knew that was important, uh, you did not have the ability to really have that. Um, what are your thoughts on on this right here? Many times what I see as a pastor and and many times what I even was guilty of myself uh, as a young man coming up and growing in the Lord. 
is that for many people and in many areas of the apostolic movement, people are never really allowed to mature as Christians. And what I mean by that is this, is that in many circles, the pastor sets all the parameters. The pastor lays out all the dynamics, the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. And 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 what you have is people that that really do they're never able to fully grow and mature as as Christians because all the decisions are already made for them. They the, what what happens is I'm afraid that a lot of times people end up worshiping their pastor more than they worship God. They end up serving their pastor. And their desire is to please their pastor more than pleasing God. Um, as an evangelist, as an evangelist, I saw this happen all across the country. I would watch young people that they they seem to be very good kids. And then when they turned 18 years old and they were able to to make their own decisions, they went haywire. The first thing they did was leave the church, backslide, and, and go absolutely berserk because they never grew up and understood how to, how to cultivate that relationship with God and form their own convictions to be able to exercise Christian liberties and be able to say, this, this is not expedient. This is, this is a decision I'm making and it's not being made for me. What, what are your thoughts uh, concerning uh, this, this culture that we see a lot in our movement uh, concerning this dynamic uh, and, and allowing people to grow in their relationship with God. Uh, talk to us about that for a minute. Um, I, I had a saying, I've said it before, and it was that, you know, when I first got in church, um, the people, there were, there were people that, you know, they were not used to people like myself. I had a lot of baggage. I had a lot of internal problems. I probably didn't even make a good citizen better yet a good saint. And because of that, there were people that felt like I was just, you know, I remember my first pastor said that Brother Hurt would never be saved. This is before I went to prison. He said, Brother Hurt will never be saved because he's stubborn. The assistant pastor was having a meeting, and uh, I don't tell that story as much. But the assistant pastor was having a meeting with me, trying to get me to turn myself in. And I was like, I didn't want to, but he was at the point where I'm like, I'm probably getting ready to turn myself in. And then all of a sudden, I think they were having an appreciation deal for him. And he 
they came to my office and said, you know, hey, they want you out there. The church wants to do the appreciation thing for you to, to the assistant pastor. They were appreciating the assistant pastor. And he said, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering to this young man. And uh, don't worry about it. Just move on. And that was after like the second or third time of them sending someone into the office. The next thing you know, the pastor comes in the office and he said, we need you to come out here. And he said to the sister pastor, like, I'm trying to minister to this soul. I want to minister to this soul. This is the soul. He said, brother hurt will never be saved. He's stubborn. And then next thing you know, I got up and I looked at the pastor uh, the, the, no, that was after the system pastor said, you can't say that. This is a soul. This man, so I don't care about no appreciation. This is a soul. And next thing you know, the I stood up and I said, that's why I don't like this church and I'll never go to this church again. And that's why nobody wants to ever come to this church. Nobody stays here at this church. And I said, I'm out of here. And I walked out of the doors of that church. And then, you know, 40 days later, I'm, in, I'm on my way to prison. If I would have been turned in, if I would have went on the head and went and turned myself in, um, my cases, I would not have done nowhere near the amount of time I did and would not have been facing nowhere near the amount of time I faced. But nevertheless, what occurred was that I went to prison and I found out that I didn't have like I, I was more worried about trying to please everybody at church. When I was when I was at church for that first year of being filled with the Holy Ghost, it was trying to impress people. Uh, trying to feel like, you know, I remember going to the pastor and I was like, hey, I want to join the choir. And he was like, join the choir for what? You can't even dress right. And he starts ripping me. And like, you know, uh, then there would be people at the church to, hey, I saw Brother Hurt at the mall and he was doing this and he was doing that. And, you know, I was, I, I was excited about what God was doing in me, but I was a baby. I still had problems. I, I, I had not, I had not walked on a long enough journey to bring about where I'm at today, you know? So what happens is, I go to prison, and it was like once I was able to get away from all of the all of the noise, and then it was just me and God. And then if I made a mistake, God was not killing me. I never forget I made a mistake, and I was like, and God was like, he he was there, but sometimes people's voice, the God, God's voice sometimes can be altered and by the presence of noisy Christians who do not betray the love of God, but they betray um, a religious, traditional spirit. Yes. They kind of come across like Pharisees. Absolutely. And I, I could, I, I was, it was dangerous for me. So when I was in prison, I felt, I felt like God gave me, it was like I was in an environment where I was safe. What are you saying, Brother Hurt? I'm saying that I felt more safe being raised in my prison cell with God than I felt being safe being raised 
in a relationship with God in the church. And the only reason why I would say that is because they were not used to people that were unchurched coming in, like myself, that just needed time. That's all I needed. I needed time. I needed prayer. What would have been helpful that maybe somebody just would have been a friend or would have been a brother. But, um, you know, nevertheless, unfortunately, that's some of the reasons why a lot of these young people end up backsliding because they're too busy. They're, 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 they're forced to betray an image that hasn't really developed in their heart yet. It's like we've, we're, we're trying to, you know, you get these kids that are raised in church. It's about, you know, you, the parents are like, you know, the parents are more concerned about where the religious and the political spirit functions at is that the people are more, parents can be more concerned about how their home looks in the presence of man than how their hearts look in the presence of God. So then what happens is the children end up getting older and the children walk away from God. Well, to be honest with you, the children had always been in that condition. Their hearts had always been there. But when your religious, political spirit is what's read in the church, running the hearts of the people in the church, that's what the parents are submitted to, then what they're going to do is... You know, they're going to, they're going to sacrifice, um, the souls of their own children by trying to save the reputation of their family by wondering, by trying to portray this image like that. So it's all about the image, all about the outward things while that child is in the home dying internally. You know, I've got a 13 year old son. And, you know, would you rather your children make their mistakes when they're younger or would you rather them make them while they're older? My thoughts is that you have to allow room if you're going to have discipleship. Now, Jesus made disciples, but he also allowed room for mistakes. He didn't kill those men when they came back and they made a mistake. He taught them. Jesus was not threatened by what men thought when the disciples could not cast the devil out of that person's child and that person was sick when they couldn't get that child healed. Jesus was threatened. Jesus used mistakes and failures not as a not as a altar to sacrifice someone or he didn't use that as a, as, as a Golgotha to crucify someone, but he used failures and mistakes as a platform to teach them a better way. And I believe that oftentimes we fail as parents to display the love of Christ to our children when we use our the failures and the mistakes of the children, when we use that moment as a moment out of fear of what the political, traditional, religious spirit says. We use that as a platform to crucify them instead of a platform to demonstrate the love and the mercy of Christ 
Because it's really in that that the bond is made. And then it's like, okay, I can move on. So what happens is these children, they get out and they go haywire. Why? Because they, they, I'd rather my child learn how to make his, I'd rather walk him through the mistakes that he makes in my house than him to leave my house and make mistakes that he could have been helped through earlier on than to turn around and leave my house and make those same mistakes. And then he takes that into his house that he's going to make for him and his children. And that's then that then you've got generations of children that don't know the Lord. So that's my thoughts. Amen. I agree with you uh, in totality uh, on your statement. It seems in many, in many ways we're more concerned as leadership with getting everyone dressed out in the uniform, but never really preparing anyone to play on the field. Yeah. And I think this is, this is a lot of uh, things that uh, we have created for ourselves, problems we've created for ourselves. Uh, Nothing we can blame the devil for, you know, when we talk about the Great Commission, when we talk about um, this this conversion, this New Testament salvation, it I'm absolutely amazed at the the poetic nature of God and this plan of salvation that He has laid out for humanity. Because when God fills us with the Holy Ghost, it's not something that just involves ourself. But we become a conduit where things flow into us and must also flow out of us. Yes. And and as Christians, many times people live unsuccessful lives as a Christian. They, they, they never seem to get the victory because they never fully understand. They never really have the revelation of what this is all about. Uh, during this conversation, I've heard you mention uh, these terms, Phariseeism, religion, religious people. The truth of the matter is, is that the apostolic church and apostolic doctrine, the apostolic movement is not a religion. It is not a denomination. But this is about a brotherhood. It's about relationship. The entire message of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is about relationship, relationship between God and humanity and relationship between humanity and itself. They will know you're my disciples because you have love one for another. 
The whole context, the whole construct of the Bible is about relationship. And, And I think that we have fallen into the trap in Christianity where it's become more about religion and creeds and 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 statements of faith and 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 all of these 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 articles of faith and 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 all of these constructs and we totally lose the overarching principle that at the end of the day this is about relationship if you can get a genuine relationship with God, you can live a victorious Christian life. You, you can do things in the kingdom of God. Um, as I listen to you talk about your story and how you formed that brotherhood uh, with those with those men in prison, you know, it's the same application that Jesus used with his disciples, that that it was about brotherhood. It was about relationship. Um, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first five was about things that had to do with your relationship with God. The next five had to do about your relationship with your brother. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's about relationship. And when there is a, a failure in the construct of relationship, there's going to be chaos and confusion. The, the lifestyle that we lived as sinful men boiled down to two things. The deficiency and lack of relationship with God and our disdain for relationship with other men. The things that I did before I came to God is because I did not value humanity. You can't love people and live the lifestyle that we lived. Selling drugs, being involved in gangs, being involved in shootouts and robberies and 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 beating people up and all the things we did as sinful men it 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 all boiled down to relationship i can't bring myself to do those things today because i value my relationship with god and i value my relationship with humanity and and i think this is something that that we have lost in christianity is the value of this word called relationship and people end up walking away from the church they walk away from god and and here's the deal it's hard for me to believe that people backslide and walk away from god because they simply don't love god anymore I don't believe that. I just simply don't believe that. Most people find it easy to walk away from God because they never had a relationship with God. 
They had a relationship with their pastor. They had a relationship with their church. And when that relationship deteriorates, they walk away. And and so those are things that, that we lose. And, and that's a message that I want to get across to, to the people that follow us on the Acts Network. At the end of the day, this is about relationship with God. This is about pleasing God. This is about you and God. Every, we all need leadership. We all need a pastor in our life. But unfortunately, there are going to be times in our life where men will fail us. Family will fail you. People will let you down and fail you, but God will never fail you. God will never let you down. And we hear that in your story, Brother Hurt. And, and we can read that throughout the pages of the Bible where God is faithful. God is faithful. God is true. God is just. And uh, it, it's an aspect that, that concerns me deeply. In Christendom is the lack of respect that we have for our brothers and sisters in Christ, the lack of concern and love. The it, it it's uh, you and I have similar backgrounds in a lot of ways. You and I both know that there is a culture, there is a subculture in the streets. Where even the lowest of the low in the criminal world understood brotherhood. Yeah. When we talk about gangs and we talk about organizations and things that we become affiliated with, it's about brotherhood. We refer to each other yeah. as brothers. It doesn't matter if you're in, uh, in in a biker gang or you're in the vice lords or the royals or or or, 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 or uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan or what whatever whatever it is. There, there's a brotherhood. There's a brotherhood there. See this this comes natural to humanity, but in the church, it seems we have lost sight of this brotherhood. That these are my brothers and sisters. You know, uh, the people that I've dealt with uh, in the world, in, in, in the things that I was involved in, we didn't always agree on everything, but these were my brothers. We were on the same team. We, we rode for the same cause. We, we had each other's yeah. back. We, we 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 had our own scuffles. Hey, I can put my hands on my brother, but you better not put your hands on my brother, or you're going to be the business. Yeah. But in the church, it seems that we're in a day and an age where it's so easy to attack our brothers and sisters. It's so easy to 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 uh, uh, to hurt another brother or sister in Christ. And this is not kingdom culture. This is not kingdom culture. This is not the way that God designed it uh, to be. And and when we talk about organizations and we talk about fellowships and and, and all of these things, uh, and, and one thing we don't do here at the Acts Network, we never throw off on, on other people or other religions or 
are are Baptists or are Catholic or Methodists or uh we we love people. We love people and and we'll defend truth. Um and so what are your thoughts on on where we're at today and what we can do better? I had a conversation with a man right before you called into the station. And this is what the man told me. He said, um, here's the deal, Brother McLeod. He said, it's not necessarily that, that humanity is bad and that society is bad. He said, what has happened is leadership has failed us. He said, it's not that the populace is bad, but it's a breakdown in leadership. And if where you have righteous leadership, you will have righteous people. What are your thoughts about apostolic leadership, the responsibility that we have as ministry, as people of God, how we conduct ourselves, how we influence those around us. Talk to me for just a, a minute about uh, your thoughts on, on the responsibility of leadership and, and, and what we can do better in the generations to come to do things better. I believe that we need to, um, as leaders, apostolic leaders, should always strive to bury and get rid of hatchets. Um, the thing is this. We must, just like you try to kill things so that the next generation doesn't have to fight it, um, I, sh I believe that leaders should try to reconcile. Um, reconciliation should be a part of your legacy. Um, I think about, for instance, Paul is telling Timothy, he's getting ready to depart. Paul's letters are just full of faith, but yet despair, agony. You can understand that he's at the end of his days and he's lonely. And all he's got right now is this young man named Timothy. But the scriptures declares that Paul talked about um, he talked about Alexander, Alexander the coppersmith. Uh, he betrayed him and did him harm and he began to talk about other people that betrayed him and did him much harm. You know, Paul suffered a lot for the sake of the gospel. As leaders, leaders must cease to take pain as if it is something directed towards them. The scriptures declare that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. The fight that we deal with is not flesh and blood, it's spirit. But the scriptures declare that Paul 
begins to talk about all of these things that he was facing from uh, rejection to betrayal in the end, loneliness from man, from his own brethren. The scriptures declare that Paul then says to Timothy, he says, by the way, he said, I want you to bring Mark with you. He said, because he is profitable unto me. John Mark and Paul, in the beginning, when Paul was in his heyday, when Paul was at the top of his game, when Paul was on the scene and he's at the, at the, at the top of his game, got great crowd and respect. It is said that John Mark, I believe it occurred that John Mark decided, I guess he had, Paul felt like John Mark abandoned him. Maybe John Mark did. But the scriptures declared that contention was among them. Now the scripture also declares that through pride, through much pride comes contention. So contention can only come because pride was present. Ma, ma, ma. John, Mark, John Mark had a problem with betrayal. But Paul had a problem with pride. And before, and in and, 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 and the betrayal, I mean, John Mark had a problem, I'm sorry, John Mark had a problem with deserting or leaving, you know, and Paul had a problem with pride. Paul judged in a matter in a way that was not forgiving. He was not forgiving of John Mark. He was hard on John Mark. However, he did not like what John Mark did. I understand that. But in the end, he, I mean, but it was at the point where he felt like he had no need for John Mark. Brethren have to be careful when another brother shows you his frailty and his frailty buffets you the wrong way. You have to be careful to make sure that you never say you don't need someone or or treat them like you don't need them. Because the very thing that you say that you can do without in the beginning is the very thing that you'll say that you can't do without in the end. So then what happens is John Mark, Paul tells Timothy, he says, bring John Mark with you. He says, for he's profitable unto me. When nobody else was there for him in the end, John Mark was there. The best thing that any leader that can do that's watching or listening to this broadcast can do in this hour is to reconcile with your brother. Why? Because Paul brought the gospel to Asia. He brought the gospel, took the gospel to all the Gentiles. But what profit Paul, if he's able to win the whole world, but yet refuse to reconcile with his brother? The scriptures declare this. It says that if a man has an with his brother, he says, let him leave his gift at the altar. And let's go. Let's reconcile. Let's be one. I believe that the best thing we can do in this hour is reconcile and be one. Jesus prayed. He said, Lord, as you and I are one, 
I pray that these will also be one as well. It is time for one God people to not only stand up for this one truth, but we also must believe that that one God can make us one in him. And we need to stand up for each other and love each other. That's the best thing I believe that man can do or leaders can do in this hour. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. And again, that goes back to that, that dual dynamic um, of the Ten Commandments. I've enjoyed the conversation. Um, we planned on going about 45 minutes and it looks like we have, uh, gone an hour and 32 minutes. Uh, I do feel in a lot of ways that this conversation is not over. I'd like to bring you back on the podcast and, uh, finish up, uh, with a few more things, but I think it's very important that people understand that the apostolic movement, the teaching of the apostles who spent precious time with God manifest in flesh, the man Christ Jesus. I think it's very important that we understand that this is this is more than than religion. That this is more than uh, religiosity. This is more than just. Uh, some type of a denominal uh, preference. But but there's something so deep, something so beautiful, something so rich. And this is the day, and this is the hour, this is the moment in time that God has given us to take the gospel back to its original purpose, to its original intent. This is the day and the hour. We are living on the precipice of the most dynamic revival that God has ever poured out upon this earth. God is opening up gates and avenues for us to evangelize the world like never before. Eight billion people that need to hear the Acts 2 message of salvation. In a lot of ways, I had a man make this comment to me. He said, Brother McLeod, we have trivialized the gospel. He said, the gospel is very simple. It's very simplistic. It's very basic. And he said, what we have done is we have trivialized it. We have commercialized it. We have taken it and we have perverted it. And we have, we have morphed it and, and, and transformed it in, into something we want it to be. Wow. And, and he says, we are all guilty. He said, but the message is very plain. It's very simple. There is a God who loves his creation so much that he desires a relationship with them. Not out of duty, but out of choice. A God that truly loves his people 
his most precious work, humanity. And all he desires is to have that free will, humanity, to love him and appreciate him in return. And he tells me, he says, the same thing you desire as a father is the same thing God desires. That's why he compared it to a to a fatherly relationship. Because as a father, we understand we we want our children to not only appreciate what we do for them, but to love us and, and to truly value that relationship with us. And that's the way God is. And 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 and, and we've clouded it with all of these, all of this nonsense but at the end of the day those disciples simple men simply declared repent of your sins turn from your wicked way and every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins sharing in the death and the burial of Jesus Christ coming up out of that water, being filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and sharing in the resurrection. A very simple gospel about relationship, about God wanting to impart himself into us, to, to give himself to us. And uh, now is the time. And God is using men like you, uh, evangelist George Hurt, and men like yourself to travel all over this world to preach the gospel to people that desperately need to hear the gospel, to know that there is hope where religion may have failed you, where people and family and government and, and institutions of education, where, where the world may have failed you, there is a gospel that will not fail you, but will not only get you Amen. through this life, but will get you into the life that it is to come. And uh, that that's our goal. That's our purpose here. And uh, to anybody that, that's listened to Brother uh, Hurt's testimony, uh, please go on uh, to our website or uh, you can find us on Apple TV. You can find us on Roku TV. You can find us on Amazon Fire. Uh, you can visit us at www.theaxacts, like the book of Acts, theaxnetwork.com, or theaxnetwork.live, L-I-V-E. You can download our apps in the App Store, Android, or the iPhone market. Uh, and you can go on and watch uh, videos of his testimony uh, and, and the things that, that uh, God has imparted into him uh, over the last 15 years of his ministry. Uh, Brother Hurt, if there's someone out there that would like to reach out to you, um, how could they go about getting in touch with you uh, to, to, to maybe uh, get a Bible study or, or, or help uh reach out to you and, uh, in a manner where you can maybe minister to them or get them hooked up with a church in their area? Uh, how could someone go about reaching out to you? Um, I am on just about all social media 
websites. I'm on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. Um, I've got a personal Facebook page, and I also have a ministry Facebook page, George Hurt Ministries. Uh, George Hurt Ministries. Um, spell that for our listeners, also, if you don't mind. Uh, spell your name out uh, for for the for the listener. My name is. It is G E O R G E H U R T uh, Ministries M I N I T R I E S dot org. You can also yes, I've got a website as well. But if you Google my name, George Hurt, um, and just put preacher or something like that, you can pull my. Uh, you should be able to pull my website site up. It'll be right at the very top. Um, there is a place where you can send me a message, uh, an email. Um, you can send me an email, and I check those, and uh, we can respond back to you that way. Or you can contact contact me via Facebook. Um, once again, I've got a ministry uh, page on Facebook as well as a personal account. Uh, many people reach out to me through those uh, sites as well. So. Um, Type in my name on Google, and they will either lead you to my Facebook or lead you to georgehurtministries.org. And Brother Hurt is a full-time evangelist, so if uh, any of you pastors are uh, listening in on this podcast, uh, feel free to reach out to uh, Reverend Hurt. I know he has uh, preached for my bishop, uh, Bishop Jerry Dillon, and... uh, wonderful reports of the great revival he had there. And so we know Brother Hurt uh, would be willing to go anywhere. There's an invitation extended to him. And he preaches all over the world, uh, revivals, crusades, conferences, camp meetings. Uh, He is available. And God uses him in a great, great way uh, in ministering uh, to God's people. Brother Hurt, we want to thank you for your time. We know you're a busy man and We appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us and uh, talk about the things of God. Uh, I feel like there may be a book in in the works. Do you do you have anything planned uh, for the future uh, with writing your story? Yes, sir. I'm actually in the process of doing that now. Amen. Amen. Well, we want you to come back and give us an update on that. I think there's a lot of people out there that would be interested in in really reading uh, your story. And I know there's a lot of people out there that could uh, relate. Uh, And for all the people that uh, will be listening to this podcast that may be incarcerated, I know we're going into the Mississippi prisons uh, with the Axe Network, and God's opening up doors there for us. Uh, If you're laying there on your bunk or you're there in that unit or, you're locked up there in one of those pods. Um, there's people out here praying for you. And God can do with you the same thing that he has done with Brother Hurt. God is willing and God is able. Amen. And I believe that there are millions, millions of George Hurts throughout the earth that God is wanting to use. And I believe Brother Hurt believes that as well. We want to thank you for listening in. Until we meet again, God bless you.
you know 